but otherwise doing great. I want to thank everyone uh, that has made this program a real success over here with a thousand downloads already. So thank you so much. With an attitude of gratitude, I welcome you to uh, our 34th episode of this fifth season. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the positivity, positivity is indeed contagious. A number of studies over the past 10 years indicate it may be worth catching. Research shows people who display positive emotions like gratitude and forgiveness, both stronger immune systems, lower blood pressure, and fewer symptoms of illness. Positive people also typically experience this, better sleep, increased tolerance for aches and pains, and very importantly, stronger relationships. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Dr. Ron Unfiltered Uncensored. This is Dr. Ron, your host. This program contains general medical, medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. You are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. So thank you, everyone, and thank you, uh, Phil Safer, for uh, two weeks of uh, really just great commentary. Uh, it's really been fun having Phil on. Uh, you know, Phil is the president of Alexa, and uh, he, his uh, Slavonic Pro makes a great, great consumer. And ladies and gentlemen, I only bring this up again because, you know, you we bring in this program so you have you can have the information needed to so you can be the CEO of your own body. You have the right to ask questions, the right to get answers before you allow anything to be done to it. But of course, it's really great to have that information so you know what to ask for. And uh, while we're waiting for our guests to come on, uh, just want to tell you that next week we will be talking about melatonin and serotonin. And uh, I 
research done on melatonin because some people are recommending doses higher than I ever uh, would have recommended of a career. We'll have that and lots of uh, great things that melatonin does for you. Uh, so today, if everything goes right, and Dr. Jeff Kagarese, he's an optometrist, he's a clinical management expert, he's the co-author along with his wife Susan of a book titled One Patient at a Time, the K2 Way Playbook for Healthcare and Business Success. You can see that at www.k2way.com. And uh, we will discuss, and he will discuss how the added screen time that comes with online school brings with it potential for serious eye strain for students. Serious eye strain for students. You know, and, and this is really important because we take it for granted that as we age, uh, we, that equates to failing vision. And it is my opinion, and we'll talk about it with our guests, that aging does not automatically equate to failing vision, provided you properly nourish your eyes through the years. So um, age-related, we'll talk a little bit about some, some conditions related to uh, your eye. And I'm going to beg your... Um, take a phone call, play some music for you, and I'll be back in a second. And uh, guess what? My music list is gone. All right. And uh, I think we should have Dr. Kegris uh, on the line. Doctor, can you hear me, Jeff? Okay, he's online, but I think because he doesn't have a headset, he may have a problem. All right, so I see he's online. I don't know if he can hear me, but I see you, doctor. And I think you may need a headset to uh, see this call. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jeff Kagaris, as I said, is uh, the author of a book along with his wife, One Patient at a Time. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been talking about spending a lot of time in front of the screens, you know, on computers, phones, tablets, and all the symptoms that can evolve from all this screen time. You know, and, and we talked about it early in this uh, pandemic when I said, you know, you gotta be careful of the electromagnetic fields, uh, blue light, we talked about that, and, but he's the expert. And uh, I did talk about uh, blue light blocking glasses, but he, again, he is the expert. Hopefully we can get him on so that uh, he can give us his about what is happening uh, and what parents should look for to indicate their, their child is having problems. You know, I see my own grandchildren now spending hours in front of their, their phones and doing all their uh, schoolwork on, on, on tablets. It seems to me like I, that can't be a good thing for long-term vision. As I was saying, you know, uh, take care of our, our vision when we're young. We, we shouldn't have to worry about our vision as we age. We shouldn't accept that, uh, you know, as we get older, we should have failing vision. It's just like we shouldn't accept we should have anything failing tremendously. You know, our, even our lab studies, they should be, you know, as 
of a 30, 35-year-old. So uh, it seems that, that Dr. Jeff can hear me, but I can't hear him, and that's maybe because he does not have a headset. Podbean is a great application, a great platform, and I'm thankful that they took on Dr. Ron Unfiltered Uncensored. Um, but uh, they do have a little quirks, and uh, I see that Dr. Jeff and some listeners are have joined the program. But I don't know whether we can hear him because uh, they somehow require you, for some reason, require the guest to have a headset. So if Dr. Jeff has a headset and he can hear me, that would be great. And we could, we could give that a try. And if you do not, um, gosh, I'm going to just talk for a while and then uh, we'll reschedule with Dr. Jeff. But I think this is important for you, for our parents out there, especially the blue light blocking glasses. Do they really work? And then we had a guest on that talked about the red light for declining vision. Staring at a deep red light for three minutes a day, he said, could significantly improve declining eyesight. And he cited a, a study uh, done at UCLA on humans. And it was published in the journal of Gerontology. And the article said this could be the dawn of a new affordable home-based eye therapy. I'd like to get Dr. Jeff's opinion on that. Because in the in the UK, there are currently 12 million people aged over 65. In 50 years, this will increase to around 20 million. And I guess they will have some degree of visual decline if they didn't take care of themselves when they were younger, if they didn't eat right, they didn't eat the right kind of antioxidant-rich foods. Can you hear me now, Dr. Ron? Oh, yes, sir. Okay, perfect. All right. So ladies I'm, and gentlemen. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at eye care. I'm pretty good at running businesses, but technology, man, that's not my thing, I guess. Yeah, you know, we're, we're in the same boat. I, I just am a little bit better because I do it a lot. Do it every week anyway. <laughs> I've been doing it every week, as I told you, for five and a half to six years. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Jeff Kagarich, and I already told you about his book. He'll tell you more about it later. Website is www.k2way.com. And welcome, Dr. Kegris, and thank God you uh, did figure it out. <laughs> Dr. Ron, it's a pleasure to be on with you today. Thank you, Happy sir. Happy Labor Day weekend. Thank you. Started in 1882. Believe it, Labor Day weekend started in 1882. Hmm. Long and, time. And you and I remember that? <laughs> no, I, think, I think I might be older than you, but I... <laughs> I, I don't remember, but uh, I know I know I had a professor at, at medical school said if work was any good, we'd be giving it to young people, young young babies and old people. So, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, it, it's really great that, that you know, we got this squared away. And I, I was just thinking as as we were as I was talking, um, let's give our our audience uh, a, a definition of what an optometrist is. Versus an ophthalmologist, and what you and I, I know from my personal experience with, when I was in practice in the Philadelphia area, I really love my optometrist. I love my ophthalmologist because one, two, three, you have them in and out, but he wouldn't do a darn thing for vision. And my optometrist, uh, and I will tell you this story before you, I let you talk again, but 
uh, he, um, he had cured more cases of attention deficit disorder because he always believed that at a certain distance, uh, the distance should be like, I think it was 18 inches, maybe I'm wrong. He would make, make these kids read at certain distances and do a, a certain eye, exam, uh, eye exercises. And these kids really calmed down. So with that, please go ahead, Dr. Jeff. All right. Well, first of all, both professions are, are extremely valuable in the eye care world, and they both have evolved. And I, I really try to liken it now for patients and say, if you need surgery, ophthalmology is really now a surgical specialty, um, not only just for, say, cataract surgery, LASIK surgery, but also tertiary specialists that do, say, retinal surgery, whereas an optometrist can can best be looked upon as your primary eye care provider. That's the person you go to for eye health and vision exams, treatment of eye disease, treatment of visual disorders, function. Yeah, you can get contact lenses and you can get glasses also. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, ophthalmologists can do that too, but it's not really their specialty. Their specialty is more in the surgical realm. And by golly, if I'm going to lay down there and have eye surgery, I want the ophthalmologist to be really, really good in surgical care. So as optometry has grown over the last 50 years, it's really kind of moved its place from, from just vision, just glasses, contacts to all eye health, the whole spectrum of eye health. And that includes like what you're talking about, um, specialties like post-traumatic brain injury, specialties like vision therapy to improve functional vision, uh, dry eye therapy, uh, management of macular degeneration glaucoma. And uh, so I look at that as my primary eye care provider. If I need a specialist for surgery, that's when I think of my friends in ophthalmology. Hope that's helpful. Oh, that's really good. I, I mean, that, that, that's in a nutshell. I love it. I, I like to keep things easy, and, and you did. So um, Dr. Jeff is an optometrist and uh, an expert in his field. And today we wanted to talk about children and, and the, the the woes that children have because of all this screen time. So uh, let's start out by asking Dr. Jeff, in, in what ways can too much screen time lead to eye strain for, for our students? Well, I'll tell you what, it's a, uh, it's a particularly apropos topic now because we have so many schools across the country that have gone virtual rather than in person. And so the first thing I'd like people to know is that when we are look at distance far away, say I'm trying to read a billboard, that's the point that my eyes should be chill and relaxed. They're not having to really work at all. We want them aimed there. But near vision, looking at a computer, reading, that's totally different and involves a whole lot more systems, in particular muscle systems that are at play. It involves a convergence system, so convergence muscles, a focusing system that's kind of like the trombone in and out focusing. Uh, it also involves now a lot more with regard to your blink rate and, and the lubrication of the front of the eye. So if you just think in the fact that when we're looking far away, eyes are more relaxed, but anytime we're going to do a sustained amount of effort up close, we're using a whole lot of muscle systems. There's a greater chance for those to break down, for maybe those not to be strong enough, and for us to get fatigued or irritated, if you will. So those are, those are going to be complicating factors when we change from learning in a classroom where we're really a little bit more dependent upon looking far away and then sometimes looking up close, kind of what we call the facility of focusing. Can I go from far away to up close? But I have a lot of relaxation time, don't I? Because I'm looking at the board when the teacher's writing up there. Now, if I'm doing that all by computer, I'm almost always in a near vision mode, definitely going to be a lot more fatiguing. So that can cause some more eye strain. 
So, it, it, so that's why we hear that, that there's going to be an epidemic of myopia uh, because of everybody's just looking close. Is that true? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good point, and that's kind of the long-term ramification. Here's what we found. I graduated in the mid-1980s. 20% of the American population at that time was nearsighted. It's now 2020, um, the year of the eye, if you will, and we have 40 to 42% of people in the United States who are now nearsighted. Over wow. that short time period, we have doubled the, men- the amount of nearsightedness directly correlative to spending time on the computer. But what we found is most important is spending time indoors and avoiding outdoors has caused a big problem. And so what the one thing I always tell parents now is that even though you're going to have school inside, that's going to increase the amount of inside time, lack of outside time. If we can average about an hour and a half a day for our children being outside, we know statistically that reduces the likelihood and the progression of nearsightedness. It doesn't stop it, but it's going to reduce it. So it seems like the brain and the body, Dr. Ron, are kind of hardwired to protect against this environment. You put it in an environment like outside and you get sunlight, you get a dopamine response, you get this, I'm going to protect against this whole world, it's a lot bigger. But you get kids that are just playing video games all the time and now that's exacerbated by going to school all the time just inside and they're not outside. Well, the body's going to protect itself against its environment, and it's very close. So we develop more nearsightedness. Great, great explanation, doctor. So, uh, doctor Jeff, uh, so parents can advise their children—not advise them—they could, they should insist that they go outside. Uh, what other, uh, what other things should parents be doing to uh, reduce their their children's uh, chances of eye strain and? other diseases like staring at that computer screen so first thing is um you know we do free eye exams in the first year of life and then we recommend an eye exam with an optometrist or ophthalmologist at age three so i always say infant c and then at three and then about every couple of years so you you want to know um are we starting off with a system that's working so there's one now that we're going to have online schooling more and they're in they're they're there at the at the computer um to the extent that you can Try to just observe as a parent, sometimes, not the whole time, but try to observe because there are a couple of things that can be really helpful. First of all, from a posture standpoint, the eyes work better in straight ahead to down gaze than they do up gaze. So a simple thing like moving the chair up and the computer down just a little bit, using a laptop or a tablet would, of course, make that accessible. But even with the desktop, if you move it down a little bit, that will be less fatiguing on the visual system. The second thing, crazy as it may sound, is blink your eyes, child and adult. Um, wow. we, we try to recommend something called the 20-20 rule, which is every 20 minutes, take 20 seconds to allow your eyes to defocus from up close, look far away, and blink um, with some intense pressure. You know, squeeze those eyes a little bit. That's going to do two things for us. Number one, when we look far away, remember I told you before, that's where the eyes are more chill and relaxed. So it allows them to not get cramped up just up close. The second thing, when we squeeze the eyes real well, we have oil glands within the eyelids 
and it squeezes those oil glands that adds to the tear film, and in particular, a very valuable component of the tear film, the oil, which keeps them from evaporating. We know that when we're really interested in something, and this is when our kids and grandkids are playing video games, man, they just are staring like crazy. Um, probably their interest overcomes their pain of, <laughs> of the irritation. Uh, that's not going to happen with school. You know, they're going to notice that irritation. So, but the simple thing like blinking the eyes can really be beneficial to decrease the, the fatigue or the irritation. Now, I tell you, it's a pretty easy thing, right? Yeah, every 20 minutes, take a break, look far away, and blink your eyes a lot. Okay, then come back for 20, you know, for 20 seconds, come back, and you can be back on the computer. But I think that's a hard thing for kids to remember. And so crazy as it may sound, if the parents are at least occasionally observing and saying, hey, take a look out the window, blink your eyes, take a short break, that, that would be a really, really good thing. The other well, thing we- that we... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, just as, a, as an aside, we, we, we tell our listeners to get their meat off the seat when they're uh, you know, at this computer. And uh-huh. we have them, we, we, we advise getting a, a, a sand um, timer. When the sand runs out and they have our get your meat off the seat and walk around. So That's a great. You know, do that with your eyes, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, let's see. What does that mean, Dr. Ron? It's like a seven three-minute egg timers, right? And then you got to yeah. take a break with your eyes. <laughs> well, they, have, they, have, they have deeper ones, but they're longer ones. But I'm just saying, that, that would, you know, whatever works for our parents, for our listeners, or for their children, that's what they should do. Whatever absolutely. it takes for, for the, make it fun for the children and, and, and let the kid know that this is important. Before you go on, though, and I don't want to interrupt you, but yeah. you, you mentioned something that, that I... I hadn't really thought about. A lot of people just use eye drops. Mm-hmm. But but you mentioned about the fat contains. Is that from the mybovian glands? I mean, I'm, I'm going back. That's right. No, man, that's good Good memory on your part. Yeah. Wow. So so it, it, is eye drops sufficient? I mean, if you want to get to that later, it's okay. But I just no. have to think about that. No, that's a good thing. And I think that for some for some children, I mean, no matter what, if we're staring too much, we spend too much time up close, at some point, we're just not going to blink as much and the eyes are going to get a little dry and they're going to get irritated. That's a temporary inconvenience. So uh, if I look at it from a short-term standpoint, a lubricant drop that re-wets the eyes can be very beneficial. As long as it's not something that takes the red out, which is a drying factor, then lubricant drops are are very fine. You can put those in, they're over the counter, and there are many, many different varieties. I think that that works well. But blinking exercises we sometimes will do for people that have problems with their meibomian glands, because what we see is if we don't blink enough, and we also see this a little more likely in Caucasian patients versus African-American and Asian patients and Hispanics, and that is that there's a genetic factor that causes some more inflammation around those meibomian glands. We tend to secrete in about 20-25% of Caucasian patients a little more of a thicker, more inflammatory fluid. That thicker fluid, if we don't blink enough, kind of gets blocked up like a little stalagmite or a stalactite on the gland, and then we don't have an oil gland releasing its fluid. And that can pose a long-term problem. Well, that, that really does answer, answer the question. But uh, that, that, that's, that's easy to, for people to do. But yeah. let me let you go ahead and finish what you were saying about uh, children, uh, what parents can do uh, besides, you know, we had mentioned yeah. about looking at the window, getting some long-distance vision. Yeah, here's one of Here's one of the things I think that can help parents, Dr. Ron, and that is that they, if they're observing their child, children that have either a convergence 
or a focusing issue or a motility issue. You know, we have about six muscles that go that, that have to all work in synchrony as we go across the page. Sometimes they don't. So our ability to jump across the page or do what we call a smooth pursuit muscle across the page to read fluently, any of these muscles could be affected. Children typically only know the way they see. And if it's frustrating, if you were seeing a blurry image or a double image or a ghosting image, and you think that's just the way it is for everybody, what are you going to do? You're probably going to sit there and start to, one, avoid wanting to do close work, or you're going to kind of lean your head to the side, or you're going to rub your eyes, or you're going to say, I can't do this. All of those symptoms or signs could be an issue that, that needs to be looked at from a vision standpoint. They might not say, you know, I noticed that I'm having diplopia, double vision at near. <laughs> They're just going to say, this, this stinks. I don't like to do this, so I'm going to avoid it. And that could very definitely be an issue. So, so here's what we see. Sometimes we see an actual, and you kind of mentioned this at the very beginning in, in your Philly experience. Sometimes people can have this pseudo dyslexia, pseudo ADD diagnosis which is because well, if you're not going to pay attention, you must be you, know, you must be you know, deficient. Um, no, it may just be that they have a vision issue that is causing them to want to avoid the close tasks, and so that can be uh, easily handled. And that that again is where I would seek out an optometrist in particular, and uh, and especially one that's going to make sure that they emphasize the near vision skills so that they can look at those. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Dr. Jeff Agaris, uh, talking about children's problems, especially vision problems because they're at home and spending a lot of time in front of the screen. And uh, our regular listeners know we have talked about blue light because you don't filter it out after nine, ten o'clock at night, it decreases melatonin production or whatever. So, how does this apply to children, Doug? Good question. And, and you know, there's the objective part and the subjective part. I think on the objective part, Dr. Ron, we're pretty convinced that, that the research shows that long-term exposure to high-energy wavelengths, blue light, purple light, etc., cetera, uh, can damage retinal cells. So we don't know to what extent. Now we have kids that are, you know, less than one looking at tablets to keep them entertained. We don't know to what extent that's going to cause a problem long-term. Um, I will say this. If I had a choice, I would rather put sunglasses on someone than I would the blue blocking because we get far more energy from daylight, sunlight, and ultraviolet light that could be damaging in a 15, 30, one hour time period than we probably do with the cumulative effect of the energy coming out of the computer. So I don't want to make people feel like, oh my gosh, uh, my kid's destined to be have vision problems. but. But there are other things that come into play on a short-term basis with blue light. And just as you mentioned, we know that studies show that it affects brain waves and sleep patterns and diurnal patterns. And, and so if we're already fatigued from that and we're not blocking the blue light, then that's just going to add to the fatigue when we use the computer. So I look at wearing blue light protection, high energy wavelength protection as a may help can't hurt type of thing. We build that into all glasses now that we prescribe because it's just a protect the eyes 
um, as much as we can. Now, that being said, I want you to know that even if you use the best blue light filters, they're probably cutting out about 30% of that high energy wavelength. They're not cutting out 100%. So you're still going to get some blue light and you're still going to get some of that, that that causes issues. What I see subjectively in my patients are some people will, will use blue light protecting um, wavelength glasses, um, which usually should be clear. I mean, you, yeah, you can use yellow and that kind of cuts out some of the blue light, but I'm not a big fan of that. I like this to just look like a regular pair of glasses and just selectively cut out the blue light. Um, some people can put those on and they go, boy, that made such a difference, Dr. Keg. I, I, I would never go without that again. And other people put them on and they use them for a few weeks and they go, eh, I don't know. I don't know if it made a big difference or not. What I kind of anecdotally see are the people that say, oh, I hate fluorescent lights. I hate big box stores where, you know, just all the blue light, the fluorescent light. Um, it's really bothersome to me. Those are the people that I tend to see really respond more positively to blue light protection uh, on the, uh, off the computer. Wow. And, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking of taking my uh, blue light blocking glasses off. <laughs> I, 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 I do like them for myself. Mm -hmm. I just said it's, it's the subjective part of it uh, because I, I'm, I'm in front of my screen anymore. But um, yeah. so I, I, like, I like your common sense approach to it. That, that, that's beautiful. Now, how about the ones that are built into the screen? You can use like an iris, and they have different terms for them. They supposedly block some of the blue light on the screen. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed a little bit of your question there. Did you say what about some of the selective blocking glasses? Uh, I was talking about blue light filters on yeah. that you could download on the devices. Yes. What, what, yeah. What's your opinion uh, on those? I mean, I use that on my iPhone, and um, I think that that is a, a probably a very helpful thing. And again, I get to the I, I can't give you the research to see how much that's blocking out and what wavelengths, etc. Right. But if we're if we're minimizing that and it makes it more comfortable, I think that can only be a helpful thing. You know, what's interesting is we move from, you know, probably when you and I grew up, um, a lot more incandescent bulbs with that were more towards the warm end of the spectrum which were, you know, that nice, cozy, warm light you see through the window at night. Now we move towards more fluorescent or LED, which are much more blue, violet, high end. So I also tell patients, um, you know, if you're going to be replacing with LED, which is almost natural nowadays, um, try to get a warmer tone on that light rather than the stark high end blue and purple. That we, we think that probably that has some beneficial effects. Well, I, I tell you what, your, your patients don't know how, how lucky they are to have you because most people that I talk to on this show don't even know about LEDs and white, <laughs> and, and white or the warm ones they have. They don't have a clue. And, and they, I don't know, it's sorry to say that, and that, that's what keeps me doing this program every week. And they have no clue about how much energy the retina is absorbing. Absorbing, yeah, it's incredible. Yep. yep. And we know, yeah, yeah. we know, getting to that long-term, you know, macular degeneration is the number one prevalent um, vision loss problem in the United States and actually in the world. And that's because we're living longer. Our exposure to high energy light, but particularly ultraviolet light, um, is, is one of those known risk factors, as well as smoking, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. So any bit of protection that we can get on a, even a little bit cumulatively over time is really, really helpful. 
Well, this fits in with the book I'm writing is How to Die Young at an Old Age. You know, <laughs> I like if it. We, if we take care of ourselves now, uh, we really uh, maybe can prevent some of these uh, eye problems. If we, you know, take care of some blue light, it may not be 100%, but you know what? The risks and the benefits, the benefits more maybe outweigh the risks, you know, have antioxidant foods and so forth. So, uh, you're, anyway, getting back, your patients are very lucky to have you. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that very much. So, yeah, we're talking about some pretty simple things, aren't we? Jeez, blink your eyes forcefully, put in a blue light filter, which is inexpensive, um, be outside for an hour and a half a day. I mean, those, are, those aren't radical suggestions. They're pretty simple things that can be very helpful. Exactly. So, uh, we, we talked about some ways uh, vision problems can cause learning problems, uh, that anymore yeah you know you you mentioned something pretty interesting and that is that uh, and uh, and you obviously had some astute eye doctors up there in your area because i tell my patients that in a primary eye health and vision exam what we're looking at is we're looking at your prescription you know do you have nearsightedness farsightedness astigmatism that's one area number two we're looking at your binocularity how your eyes work together? Do they converge? Do they focus? Do they, is the motility good? And then number three, we look at your eye health. If there's nothing blocking on an eye health and the eyes are working well together, teaming, and you have no prescription or we correct that prescription, I've now got a clear image from outside in the world to the back part of your brain, the very back of your head called the occipital area. I know that an image has gotten there clearly, but that's not all seeing is. Now I have to interpret what I see. And as you remember from you and I and our neuroanatomy, um, going back in the archives, it's got to move from the occipital part to the frontal part of our brain to now interpret what I see. That's called functional vision. The, sometimes I can get a clear picture on the back of the brain, but the, and we know that the child is smart, but we see this a lot in, in younger, younger boys, too, where the mom goes, I don't get it. I mean, you know, he's a smart kid, but he's not reading up to his level. And it's because instead of that direct highway from the occipital part, the back of the brain, where it's clear to what am I seeing, you know, we take a little bit of a scenic byway and we go over here, we stop at a rest area and then we go over here and we get a, some French fries at this part of the brain. And, you know, eventually we circuitously make our way to the frontal part, but it's not quick. Our visual efficiency, our visual memory, our visual processing is affected. The eyes are an extension of the brain. And so a lot of people have very good muscle function up close. They have good optics, but they have functional vision issues. And, uh, you know, we can see that in maybe they avoid ball sports. They don't have good eye-hand coordination. Or once again, the vision's clear far away but they just don't seem to be comprehending what they're reading. They're skipping lines. They say, I can't do this. Those could indicate something more than just a visual problem. It could be a functional seeing or vision problem. And that's a whole other area of specialty where it's almost like physical therapy for the eyes gets involved. We can make dramatic improvements in somebody's ability to function. But that's just, that's just a great statement. Because it looks like, you know, it's not getting any, we're not going to have any less time in front of these screens. Then you add television into it, it's, it's going to yep. get more. So, uh, uh, you know, what you're saying just makes so much sense. 
and and the you we excuse me for stumbling because I got two two questions come in my mind at once. Uh, <laughs> parents, what should they look for again to indicate that that their child is having a problem with vision? Yeah, and always, and, and, when, okay. and and how it should should uh, visual checkups with an optometrist be more frequent now that there's more screen time. Yeah. So let me answer that one first. And again, um, we recommend, again, first year of life, infancy, just like you would with a basic pediatric auditory screening, but just make sure that, that the eyes are working well together, that, they're, that they don't have any high prescription that could cause a weak or lazy eye, what we call amblyopia, and that we don't have any health issues, anything blocking the vision. That should be we, we do that for free, and it's good and reassuring to parents. And 85% of the kids we see, everything is normal. If that's normal, then then age three, three and a half. And if parents say, "Well, wait a minute, how are you going to do that?" It's all objective. We don't need the parent. We don't need the child, obviously, to say which is better, one or two. We can do this all objectively. Um, and it's it's more than we work with our pediatricians really, really closely, and they provide a valuable service by doing some doing screenings on these type of things. But they don't look at binocularity. They don't look at the ocular health in the same way. And we can dig into the prescription part. So it's it's a pediatrician screening is valuable. Don't stop that. But it doesn't it doesn't replace an optometry or ophthalmology um, eye health exam. Then once somebody, let's say at age three, three and a half normal, I'd have another one in two years at around age five, five and a half. If everything is normal at that point, then I would gear towards what my optometrist or ophthalmologist recommends is how frequently. It might be every two to three years. That's historically where we where it's been. But you make a very, very good point, and that is listen, with all the screen time, it's more likely that we're going to develop issues that maybe we can help. Why wait two or three years to rehabilitate that? Um, why not maybe do an annual eye health and vision exam? And a lot of eye doctors are recommending that for the very reasons that you mentioned. Not just in people who have prescriptions, but even in people who not, it's in, or who don't. It's inexpensive, it's easy, and and it's very reassuring. And, and why take the risk of having a delay in learning when you could have prevented something if you found it during a preventative eye health exam? Prevention is the way to go and, and better than treating. And uh, yeah, you get better results. That's right. Uh, and before, I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about supplements, but I, we mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about uh, the position. Do you have any... any uh, comments about how the computer should be positioned for the student, how far away, high, low, anything like that. Yeah, and it, and it you probably helped me answer the question, one of your two questions there. See, I can only answer one at a time. I have to remember <laughs> that second one. That takes a little longer in my synapse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once, once again, I think lowering the computer screen so that the eyes are working straight ahead or in down gaze, much easier. Um, making sure that the posture, watch your kids, see if their posture looks, you know, this kind of leaning on the hand. Sometimes that's a telltale sign that when they're leaning on their hand, what they're really doing is closing one eye because they actually have a little bit of double vision. They don't really know how to say that, but that can be a telltale sign. If their posture doesn't look good, um, that, that could be an issue that, that parents need to watch for on that. That's great. And and we talked, you talked about the fluorescent lighting, uh, mm-hmm. LED lighting. What's, what's the best lighting environment for our students that are in front of these screens all day long? Great question. Warm lighting better than cool or blue or purple lighting and lighting that that comes back over their shoulder 
rather than glare, than enhancing glare, obviously you kind of got to position that light, but something that's a little more diffuse rather than focused. We don't want to add any glare. We already have this subtle difference that people don't think about, and that is when I look at the computer screen, the letters are really, even though it's a flat panel monitor, the letters that I'm looking at are actually not where the monitor glass is. And so there's that subtle difference that the, that the visual system is always having to make micro adjustments for. Um, so we don't want to, that, that in and of itself is kind of a constant baseline focus, defocus, focus, defocus, focus, defocus. We don't want to add glare to that and other things. So just looking at the overall light, if warm hues will refract and cause less glare than the purple and blue hues. So um, diffuse and warm, that's the way I would go. That makes, again, just common practical sense that our listeners can, can, can do, and it's not going to cost them any money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if children are not doing well uh, on their exams and so forth. Obviously, it's multi, multi, multiple reasons why that could be. Maybe they're not spending enough time or what have you. Uh, but is, could it be related to they're having visual problems with their, with their device, with looking at the screen? Yeah, very definitely. 80% of our learning comes through the eyes. So why not make sure that the first step is Am I having, am I processing things the way, is my child processing things the way that they should? And keep in mind, most of us as parents, when we think about how well is my child seeing, they're going to say, hey, see that billboard? Can you tell that that says Kentucky Fried Chicken? (laughs) We're going to be comparing, we're going to be comparing it distance and, and, you know, yeah, 40% of kids are going to be nearsighted, but 60% aren't. And so they might see that just fine. What we're talking about again, like we talked about at the beginning of the program, near vision requires a whole lot more muscle skills and different systems that are in place than just far away. So your child could see perfectly far away and still have problems up close. So it's important to get those checked out. Now, it could be that the, that the eye doctor says, I'm not seeing any problems. We don't have any prescription. The eyes seem to be working well. Keep in mind, I'm only working with your child for maybe 10 to 15 minutes. That's a whole lot different than six to eight hours on the computer. So we sometimes will see that during an examination, we don't fatigue the system, but what we, we have to really listen to parents and the child because it could be that after an hour, two hours, four hours, that's when they start to look away, just get distracted, avoid the work because their focusing system now has the ability to focus for a while, but it cannot sustain it. So sometimes low power reading glasses that just relax a little bit of the focusing, not all of it, plus a blue light filter can be just enough to kind of get us over the hump that we just need a little bit of extra help so that the focusing system doesn't have to be working at its max capacity. Uh, again, now, Dr. Dr. K, uh, Jeff, um, we, we have been prescribing and I know a lot of elderly people taking some kind of uh, vitamins for their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. mainly antioxidants as far as I can see. It's maybe mm-hmm. selenium or zinc, riboflavin, whatever. Mm-hmm. Bio. Are, are, do, do you recommend anything for children? That's a great question. Um, so, boy, that's that could be a whole topic we could talk for, for a long time. So, so let me give you a, a few basics that I see. Let's talk about a specific disorder, macular degeneration. The data, the research says that in macular degeneration, if I'm going to treat you as a population, 
that if you already have a moderate level, we call that intermediate, then antioxidants with zinc are beneficial. That's lutein, zeaxanthin, and some zinc at certain levels. Pretty good amount, 80 milligrams. Um, however, the research says if you don't have macular degeneration, there was no benefit statistically to take extra zinc. Okay? Sure. So, therefore, um, that makes us think. But are there any other things that can be helpful? Well, we really do believe that lutein and zeaxanthin are helpful because what they do is they enhance the yellow pigment layer on the inner part of the macula before all the blue light and all the high energy hits the back of the macula. And so we can measure that, that yellow pigment level. And if it's lower, it's on a scale of zero to one. If it's lower than 0.5, then statistically we're getting more light, high energy light to the back of the eye. Lutein and zeaxanthin can build up the thickness of that, which means it's kind of like natural sunglasses for the eyes. So I recommend lutein and zeaxanthin. Do I think you're going to hurt your eyes if you don't use it? No. But if people say, hey, what can I do that would be most beneficial that is not more harmful than helpful? I think lutein and zeaxanthin, which is excreted in extra high levels, um, so you're not, it's not going to build up someplace else, I think are, are very, very helpful. About 10 to 12 milligrams of lutein and about 2 milligrams of zeaxanthin. You can get that in most medicine. What I do recommend to people, though, Dr. Ron, is don't add, don't take the AREDS 2 because then you're going to get a high level of zinc. And I'm just not convinced that, that, that for no therapeutic benefit, we should be taking a high level of heavy metal over a long period of time. All right? right. We know and that there can be some deleterious effects there. Absolutely. And, and zinc and copper are inversely related, and that's another story with mm -hmm, the copper mm -hmm, is associated mm -hmm. with aneurysms. So... That's great advice. Uh, yeah. Keep it, you know. I've got one more for you that I think would probably be really more cutting edge for your for your folks if you got just a second. I got it. All right. So here's the thing. We looked at the age-related eye disease study and, and the age-related eye disease study too. You'll see that on the bottles. AREDS2 formulation. And what we found was that I'm going to treat you, Dr. Ron, as a population and you have moderate macular degeneration, let's say. I'm going to put you on an AREDS2 formulation. But when we've really titrated that data down, we have found if we do a person's macular genetics, and so we do that a lot, we'll swab the cheek, send it off to a genetics lab, we see that 60% of people or 65% should take AREDS2. But guess what? About 15% of people should be no zinc, even though the data when we treat a population says you'll do better. About 15 to 20% of people, zinc actually makes their macular degeneration progress faster. And so by knowing their genetics, I can individualize or personalize their treatment and say, yeah, I know what the data says for the population, but for you, we want to put you just on lutein and zeaxanthin. And for a few people, 10 to 15%, they should take zinc only. Believe it or not, lutein and zeaxanthin seem to increase their risk of progression. So what I tell people, if you, you know, when they come in, we, we're treating or trying to minimize macular degeneration, the dry type, because remember, everybody has a dry type before they get the wet type. And the wet type, we have to give a shot in the eye. Yeah, we got good treatments, but nobody really wants a shot in the eye if we can avoid it. Um, so we want to prolong getting the dry type. How do we do that? The ideal thing is to say, let's see where you are. Let's look at your macular genetics. It's a pretty inexpensive test, and we can see not only what your 10-year risk profile is, but we can also see 
um, what type of vitamins, if we do need to treat nutritionally, what would be better for you? It's well worth, I think we charge $3.99 for that total test panel. Boy, really, really beneficial. It's kind of the human genome coming full circle where it's not just in theory, but I can now individualize treatment for preventative and for treating people that already have some macular degenerative findings. I'm going to say it again. Your your patients and your population down there are very fortunate to have you. <laughs> few people that, that talk about this. We, we talk about genomes and so forth in other, in, in other areas of medicine, but we, I, this is the first time I've heard it in, in regard to the eye. So kudos to you, Dr. Jeff. And, you know, and ladies and gentlemen, remember, I, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in vitamin D, and the reason I am mm-hmm. is because you can measure it and you, you know, you can optimize your level. So you just don't have to go to the store, well, I'm going to take 3,000, 5,000. And that's why I like the vitamin D levels. Uh, and that's, that's, we've done so many programs with vitamin D and D3. But mm-hmm. again, you know, you don't, you're not flying by, by the seat of your pants. You can actually, your doctor can get a, a, a vitamin D level. So uh, now I have to look more into uh, this here because I, I haven't heard of this for uh, macular degeneration. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting is the vitamin D levels also are, cor- low vitamin D levels are correlated with, with a higher dry eye symptomatology too. So people, so we see some people that improve with their dry eye just by increasing their vitamin D level. So you, you didn't realize that you're, you're treating dry eye by encouraging what you've been encouraging, did you? No, I had no idea, but I tell you what I do know what I'm doing is I'm knocking out some of the physician assistants and nurse practitioners who tell some of our listeners that their vitamin D level is normal and it's 30 or 40. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, that's normal in, in, from the lab, and that lab is generated from measuring sick people, but I want yours to be optimal. I want it between 60 and 80. I want it to be like a young person. I don't want you to be like an old person. There so, you go. There you go. So it depends on what you define as average, right? I, I don't exactly. think we really want to be average. I want to be optimal. Absolutely. That, that's the, that is the word, optimal. We're going to optimize what we're doing. Okay, so what has been a great discussion, and, and I've learned from the, the years of doing this, Dr. Jeff, that if we go too long, we're going to lose some people. So I am going to tell you, I'm going to ask you to tell us, tell our listeners about the book that you wrote with your wife, tell them where they can get it, and then uh, we will be in touch to have a follow-up uh, podcast uh, on genetics and and and. Uh, supplement therapy for eye care. Does that, that sound good? Man, that sounds just great. And I've and I've started a a podcast, not nearly as successful as yours, called As I See It, which is really for my patients. And so, if sometime I'd like to invite you to come on there because uh, we talk about all kinds of eye health and body health issues. And I'd be honored to be able to have you on that. So let me tell you a little bit about the about the book. And here's where it comes from. Um, I believe we kind of need a patient revolution. I believe healthcare should be the ultimate service industry. So my wife and I start that off by building relationship-based healthcare practices. We've always had that belief. And so we start by talking about this is what patients should expect during any healthcare visit. And I think that that is a matter of respect. I think it's a matter of courtesy and the experience should be a stellar one. I think efficiency is built in there also. 
But that's an easy thing to say. But I think in all of this political spectrum of talking about access to care and value in care, let's not forget. I don't hear people talking about, yeah, but when I'm in there or when I'm experiencing the healthcare system, what type of respect and courtesy do I get? And that should be at the forefront, at least part of the triad of, of great healthcare. The second thing is we, we know that the vast majority of doctors want to provide that. So they go, but yeah, but how, how do I do that? Um, and so we've got eight chapters and 135 lessons that are easily implementable. Some are so simple, you say, why what, do we do that? Why, why don't we do that regularly? And it's just nice, good reminders. But we have eight chapters all the way from how to lead it, how to build teams, how to build the culture, how to build uh, a consistent image, how to be efficient. Uh, and I think it's a it's a very implementable, very easily readable book called, you know, the, it's one patient at a time. That's the way we want patients to feel, that I don't care if I'm seeing two patients a day or 200 patients a day, you should feel like I'm the most important patient and it's only about me when I'm in there. And so this is really for healthcare providers to provide that level of relationship-based excellence in care and to stand out among, among other providers. And it's available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. So um, Kindle right. and hard, hard, hard cover and soft cover. <laughs> that is very God bless you. That 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 is super. I should have had you on when we talked uh, with the president of the uh, Pennsylvania County Med Pennsylvania Medical Society. How healthcare is so mm -hmm. impersonal now. How it's hard to get the residents to, to have eye to eye contact. How they're looking at their tablets and using Google for differential diagnoses. How nurse practitioners have six hundred hours of postgraduate training with physicians. Family doctor, I mean, you know, and, and one of the things they have now at, at my medical school, Tufts University, is they're teaching the students how to sit in front of someone else and look at, you know, eye, eye to eye and, mm -hmm. and bond with them because the, the younger generation doesn't do that anymore. Exactly. So like teaching things that you think that are that are basic and, sh and you wouldn't have to spend time with. Right. Empathy, exactly. caring, posture. I mean, just all of all of those types of things. Of course, we can't we can't emphasize touch right now, can we, in these COVID days? <laughs> well, <laughs> That's COVID, COVID days will be over and you'll. Uh, yes, they will. The, the virus, every every mutation, the virus has gotten, gotten weaker. And with the with the revision of the CDC. That totals down to six percent of this 180,000 know, piece, piece, patients that die from it, not with it. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. I think the it's slowly but surely going to be over. You know, and it's it's interesting because we we have two strategic reviews a year where I take all of our staff and all of our offices off site, and we really talk about patient care and where we are, where we were, where we're going. And my my theme of this last one two weeks ago was unmasking our care that I don't care if you're wearing a mask that should not mask the level of relationship-based care that we're providing to people you know they may not be able to see your smile but they should sure should be able to feel your caring your empathy and the and the way that you're treating them um, so don't don't use COVID as an excuse to change the way or to lessen the uh, the type of care that you provide for you uh... You are a pleasure. What, what an easy person to speak with. I'm sure our, our listeners are going to agree with that. Um, this will play again. I did this one live because this, our, the listeners said they would like to have it live. So I see on everybody that's logged in. I don't see anybody asking questions. That's okay. But we'll run this again on Tuesday at 4 o'clock on our regular time. 
And this is Dr. Jeff Pagaris. Uh, and what a great interview. And uh, I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm spellbound. Not, not too many of my guests except one and my listeners there, Dr. Will Wong, just blow me away. And you blew me away tonight. So I, I appreciate that so much. And um, I hope we can get together with another podcast. This, this, this was fun. That I would love to, and I really appreciate you taking the time. And Dr. Ron, I will tell you, your listeners are very fortunate to have you in, in your area up there. I wish, wish we had you down here. So. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what a great podcast today. Okay, and remember, we're on Alexa, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Podchaser, almost any place where you get your podcast, you'll find Dr. Ron unfiltered, uncensored. Uh, we're really blessed and to have such a great audience and great listeners. Remember, our uh, email is docronradio at gmail.com, docronradio at gmail.com. We just started a YouTube channel, Dr. Ron, and a lot of our podcasts now get put on there. So if you want to you know, listen to us as you're uh, on a treadmill or going for a walk. Uh, enjoy this good weather. Get out, get some good sunlight, natural sunlight. Oh, by the way, should, should people wear sunglasses? Yes. Okay. We'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> get out and have some good, good, good time outside. Uh, and uh, we will see you again next week. And I want to thank Dr. Jeff again. And, Dr. Jeff, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Ron. Okay, we're going to have Freddie take us home, and we'll see you next week.